We're going to continue on in our series, and that series is the end of the age, the coming of the Messiah, and the rest of God. And today we're going to take a uh, we're going to take a look at another eschatological belief system, and uh, this one uh, is is a little bit different, similar to the one we looked at uh, last week, but but it does have some uh, variations to it. And this particular one, it falls more so uh, in our campground, which is to say the the messianic realm. And uh, what I'm referring to is none other than the greater Exodus theory. And just by a show of hands, how many of you are familiar with the greater Exodus theory? Has anyone heard of it? Oh, good. Yeah, there's a lot of you. Well, uh, I can tell you something about this theory uh, it's, it's pretty important for you to pick up on. Uh, this theory is catching like wildfire. It's spreading like wildfire uh, within the Messianic or even the broader extension in the Hebrew Roots movement. Um, there are several prominent teachers out there who are teaching this theory in an attempt to actually define and articulate uh, the end of the age, how it's going to unfold. It's, it's eschatology. And uh, some are more extreme than others uh, in this realm. Uh, some are more comprehensive than others. Um, and yet still others are a little more reserved in their approach and how they approach uh, this eschatological timeline, this eschatological belief system. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at this uh, belief system and uh, we're going to begin to shed some light on some of the ideologies that are attached uh, to this particular system, including those ideologies, unfortunately, that don't exactly hit the mark when it comes to uh, Bible prophecy. Um, and I'd take it a step further. Some of these things that we're going to discover are dangerously deceptive. They're very uh, destructive in nature. Now, before we get started... I want to let you know that today is, is not going to be uh, real intense or real comprehensive. Today is just simply laying a foundation. That's all it is. And um, the good news is, is that we're going to be spending some time in this area. Uh, and as we spend, the more time we spend in looking at all these Bible prophecies that are involved, um, you're, going to dis- you're going to discover something amazing the Bible is actually going to start framing up your eschatology. The more and more we dig into this, the clearer everything is going to become. With that said, I want to begin today kind of in a similar manner how I began last week. If you remember, as we got into the rapture theory, um, I started on a positive note, right? I want to talk about the things that we can agree upon, build a commonality, build a common foundation, uh, between us and them that uh, where, where we divide on eschatology, I think it's important, and I, I think it's just a good approach. It's good form. Uh, I want to do that today because what I can tell you about the greater Exodus theory, there are some clear, identifiable truths to this theory that we want to grab onto, that we should be. There's principles, there's concepts involved with this theory that you want to embrace. Uh, I'll just give you a... a First thing, right off the bat, just to show you some common ground here, uh, the greater Exodus theory uh, takes a different approach to biblical prophecy than, per se, the rapture theory. The rapture theory really rests upon dispensationalism, right? 
It rests upon, if you will, a Greco-Roman mindset. The greater Exodus theory comes on the scene and says, well, I, I don't necessarily want to see it from a Gentile perspective or from a cultural perspective. I want to see it from a Jewish perspective. I want to look at Bible prophecy through Jewish eyes. And this is something that I can get behind. This is something that I'm 100% in agreement with. And, and it should actually begin with theology, not even eschatology. With theology, we should be embracing that. And so, right off the bat, I can tell you there are things about this uh, 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 belief system that I, I'm in complete agreement. In addition to that, one of the most important principles regarding the greater Exodus theory, which it, this is just what brings this thing to life, this is what births it, if you will, is the principle that the things that are recorded in Scripture are not to be read one-dimensionally. When we, and how many times have you heard me talk about this? When we read passages in the Tanakh or when we're reading the Torah, the events that transpire, the greater Exodus theory says, well, they're not just the events itself. It's not just about history, the history of the Jewish people. There's more here. There's prophetic undertones. The events are prophetic in nature. And so... Uh, this is the approach it takes. And you look at the Exodus story. This is what the greater Exodus does. It looks at the Exodus story and says, you know what, this is a prophetic template of how the end of the age is going to unfold. Hence where you get the name, the greater Exodus. And so, again, this is something I can get behind. This is something I'm completely supportive of. There's so many examples we could give of just how prophetic the Tanakh is and the events that occur with the characters and so on and so forth, they play out again in the future. And uh, Abraham is a great example of this. Um, another great example of this is uh, when you look at the book of Revelation. When you look at the book of Revelation, you're going to find a lot of the Exodus the Exodus story is actually involved, the terms, the imageries that are used are involved in the book of Revelation. And I, I want to give you a taste of this just so you can appreciate this principle that is driving this greater Exodus theory. And so what I want to do is I want to show you the bowls of wrath. And we're just going to go through them. It's not going to be super comprehensive, but we're going to go through these. And I think you're going to be amazed just by the tone that's being used here, the language that's being used. In Revelation 16, 1. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the bowls of wrath of God on the earth. Now, before we continue, there's a couple of things to mention here. How many bowls of wrath are there in the book of Revelation? There are seven bowls of wrath. And we're actually told, as beginning of chapter 15, that in these seven bowls, the wrath of God is complete. It is actually completed. The wrath of God is completed. Uh, that's the first thing I want to mention here. The second thing I want to mention here is how many bowls of wrath or plagues were in Egypt? And you say ten. There were ten plagues in Egypt. We go to Revelation, there are seven plagues. What's the parallel? Well, let me share with you what the parallel is. It's very powerful. If you go and study the story of the Exodus... What you find is, is that God made a distinction. He divided the plagues. The ten plagues were divided. And this is how it was divided. The first three plagues were divided from the last seven. And what was the cause of division? 
Why did God divide that? We are told he makes a distinction between the third and fourth plague and the fourth obviously going on with the next seven plagues in that he distinctly recognized Israel apart from the world. He separated his people from the people of Egypt. And so ultimately what you have really from Israel's perspective, you have the seven last plagues that are falling upon Egypt and what they're seeing. And that is going to come into play as we continue on in verse 2. So the first went and poured out his bowl upon the earth, and a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. Isn't that fascinating? Two things about this. Number one, this loathsome sword that is falling upon men, it's only falling upon those who have taken the mark, right? Well, isn't that interesting? When you go to the last seven plagues in Egypt, it only fell upon the Egyptians. Israel was supernaturally protected. And so we're starting to see these things unfold here, this imagery of what happened in the Exodus story. It's now being carried over. The theme is being carried over into the book of Revelation and foretelling the very end of days. Uh, the second thing I want you to really focus on, on, focus in on here, foul and loathsome sore. A foul and loathsome sore. That is the plague mentioned here. Well, isn't that fascinating? Because when we go back to Exodus 9, verse 8, we read this. So the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take for yourself handfuls of ashes from a furnace and let Moses scatter it toward the heavens in the sight of Pharaoh and it will become fine dust in all the land of Egypt and it will cause boils that break out in sores. Can you say foul and loathsome sores? This is what happened in Egypt on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. And so this is just the beginning here. This is the insight. The things that we saw... Getting back to the greater Exodus theory and its whole principle that things happened before are going to happen again. Well, we see this. We see this transpiring. We see the same imagery, the same plague falling uh, in the book of Revelation. Continuing on now with our bowls. The second angel poured out his bowl on the sea and it became blood as of dead men. And every living creature in the sea died. Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water and they became blood. Well, what happened in Egypt? Exodus seven seventeen. Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will strike the waters which are in the river with the rod that is in my hand, and they shall be turned to blood. And the fish that are in the river shall die, and the river shall stink, and the Egyptians will loathe to drink the water of the river. So in Revelation, we have the Lord turning the water into blood, what did he do in Egypt? He did the exact same thing. Again, understanding the Exodus account is going to help you identify when the Lord is moving, what he is doing. I mean, think about this. The more you study Torah, the more you study the Tanakh, you are going to be equipped to know when God puts his hand to something. When God is going to cast a judgment, you'll know about it because you've studied it, you've read it, you've put it in your heart. It gives you the ability to know the signs of the times. It gives you the ability to know God. Very powerful principle. Very powerful concept. Continuing on in these bowls, going back to Revelation 16, verse 8. Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and power was given to him 
to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat. And they blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues. And they did not repent. I'll say that again. They did not repent and give him glory. What do we know that happened in Egypt? As the Lord God of Israel is pouring out these plagues, what aren't the people doing? They're not repenting. They're following the same thing. So again, we're seeing the same type of stuff being carried over, over and over again. So this is being played out in Revelation. These people are not repenting, just as we saw Pharaoh. In fact, we're told Pharaoh's heart actually gets harder and harder and harder. He becomes more obstinate, more rebellious against God. Continuing on in verse 10, and we read, Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast. And his kingdom became full of darkness. And they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. So this fifth angel, when he comes, he pours it out on the throne of the beast. But not just that, the kingdom, his kingdom becomes full of darkness. Such darkness, they're gnawing their tongues uh, because of the pain. Well, isn't that interesting? Because when we go to Exodus chapter 10, verse 21, we read, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, darkness which may even be felt. You think about that concept. Egypt is representative of this world. Who is the God of this world? Who is the God of this age? Hasatan. And that is the very image of Pharaoh. Pharaoh rejected the Lord. Hasatan rejected the Lord. And here you have in Revelation, the kingdom of the beast, which is to say Satan, his kingdom becomes such full of darkness, they're gnawing their tongues because of the pain. They're feeling the darkness. And here in Exodus out of Egypt, there's a darkness over the land of Egypt, the kingdom, if you will, and a darkness that may even be felt. Amazing. You see how this principle works? You see how this concept works? By knowing, it's so fascinating. When you know Torah, when you study Torah, when you study the prophets, man, does it give you the ability to see the New Testament in a light you've never seen before. It starts to fill in all these blanks, all these question marks. And again, our God, he's a marvelous God. Continuing on, Revelation goes on to say, verse 13, And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs. You can pay attention here. So John's looking. He sees unclean spirits. And they're specifically like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Okay, so... Put this in context. Spirits of demons, they're going forth to deceive. That's what their, their purpose is, to go and to deceive the nations. They're, gonna, they're, they're, they're preparing for the final battle, okay? And they're likened to what? Frogs. Well, now you're going to see the value of knowing what happened in the Exodus account, going to Exodus chapter 8, verse 5. Then the Lord spoke to Moshe, say to Aharon, stretch out your hand with your rod over the streams, over the rivers, and over the ponds, and cause frogs to come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. Now pay close attention, because this is the connection. 
And the, magi- the magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs on the land of Egypt. You cannot make that stuff up. So here you have the magicians in Egypt. They're literally, what are they doing? They're working their enchantments. And what did they bring forth? Frogs. They mimicked the miracle of God. They mimicked the wonder of God for what purpose? To go out and deceive. They went out to deceive so that you would not adhere or fear the God of Israel. It's exactly what's unfolding here in Exodus. And then John picks up and we're utilizing the exact same imagery where he likens these demonic spirits that are going out to deceive the nations, preparing for the final day, to frogs. Let me show you one more. Revelation 16, verse 17. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, it is done. Remember, when the seventh bowl is poured out, the wrath of God is complete. Jumping down to verse 21. And great hail from heaven fell upon men. Each hailstone about a weight of a talent. Men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, since the plague was exceedingly great. Now here's what's interesting about this. When you go back to the Exodus story, we find that one of the plagues that the Lord rains down upon Egypt is what? It's hail, right? Very same imagery, but not just that. When we actually go back and look at what plague it was, isn't that fascinating? It was the seventh plague. Isn't that interesting? The parallel doesn't end there, but we find that there's something very, very unique about this particular plague, something that corresponds to what we just covered here in Revelation. And this is what is said, going back to Exodus 9.18. Behold, tomorrow about this time I will cause very heavy hail to rain down, such as has not been in Egypt since its founding until now. That statement right there is exactly what Revelation just stated as the seventh bull as the wrath of God is being completed, hail is coming down in such a way the earth had never experienced it before since its inception. The, the weight that was given, it talked about each hailstone being about 75 pounds. Think about that. This is what was prophesied. A talent is roughly 60 to 75 pounds. Can you imagine hail coming down from the sky, 75 pounds? These are like meteorites. It's going to turn the earth into a golf ball, right? I mean, it's just, it's, it's just powerful imagery. And so literally what was said in the Exodus uh, story in regard, they've never seen anything like this. Yeah, it's going to come again. We're going to actually, the earth is going to experience something it's never experienced before. Now we continue. Therefore, send now and gather your livestock in all that you have in the field, for the hail shall come down on every man and every animal which is found in the field and is not brought home, and they shall die. Continuing on in verse 20. He who feared the word of the Lord. Now this is at the plague of hail. This is before the plague of hail comes down. He who feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his livestock flee to the houses. But he who did not regard... The word of the Lord left his servants and his livestock in the field. This is super fascinating. Because when we see this massive plague of hail in which the wrath of God is complete in Revelation, prior to that plague, 
we have all these other plagues. And what do you think is going to happen during this time? And this is good news. I want to share this with you because the illusion is given right here in Exodus. Before the plague of hail comes, people are warned. This is the God of Israel. If you do not fear him, if you do not take heed, you're going to be destroyed. And yet these people in Egypt took heed. There's some of the, some of the uh, uh, Pharaoh's servants, they took heed and it specifically said they feared the Lord, which is in other words, it's confessing him. Believing, yes, the one true God of Israel, he is in charge and he is responsible bringing this calamity upon us. We need to turn. And that's where you get the mixed multitude, isn't that interesting, joining Israel and about to come out of Egypt. Just a powerful concept. So this just gives you a little insight into how this theory, the greater Exodus, could even be conceived. Uh, Truly, the Exodus story is prophetic in nature and There are elements within the story that no doubt give us uh, some insight as to how this is all going to play out. Now, in addition to this principle, one of the most important concepts to understand about the greater Exodus theory, one one of the primary thrusts, the focuses, is that of this, the regathering. The regathering. The greater Exodus theory emphasizes a regathering. Again, I'm going to tell you guys something. This is something I can get behind. I know it's scriptural. Almost the whole Bible is explicitly dedicated, talking about the regathering. One prophecy after another, one event alluding with prophetic undertones of a regathering. Over and over again, the prophet speaking, the Torah speaking of it. You get into the New Testament, the New Testament speaking of it. There's no question it is highly scriptural, and this is, we even alluded to this last week in the rapture theory, the regathering is biblical. This is a beautiful principle. So the long and the short of it is, is there are things about this belief system, the greater Exodus theory, that are absolutely true. They're absolutely beautiful. There's things that we want to embrace, these concepts, these principles, right? Where the problem comes in, and this is my OO sign, and we say, uh-oh, this is the warning, warning for what's ahead. Where the problem comes in is when you start to hear how the greater Exodus theory is being portrayed by various teachers uh, articulating how it's going to unfold in, in, in injecting all the various uh, details and, uh, for the process for regathering the children of, of Israel uh, to God. And this is really where things begin to break down. This is where things begin to get very, very fragmented and uh as i mentioned before very dangerous well uh let me explain what i mean we're going to we're going to finally just get into this uh, but before we really get into it what i want to do is i want to give you an illustration i want to talk about and there's a thousand illustrations that i could give this is just the one i chose uh because of my child like mine i see a lot of these because i have children and so this is this is what you get um, nothing comprehensive. Uh, it's a maze. And I mean, we're all familiar with mazes. I want you guys to understand Bible prophecy is like a maze. It really is. It's like a labyrinth with the platform, the maze itself being the platform, the word of God. And everyone's starting out here, whether it's the rapture theory, whether it's the greater exodus theory and whoever else, they're all starting out at this end. And they're all entering into the platform. They're all entering into the word of God. 
They're all using Bible verses. Some of them are using the same Bible verses. And I want to tell you something. As you enter into this labyrinth with the twists and turns, with every twist and turn, you're grabbing a passage of Scripture and saying, I'm going to build this on top of this and on top of this. So you're twisting and turning. I'm going to tell you right now, if you do not do it according to the interpretation of the Father, of how he has set out, because there's only one truth, okay, as this stuff all goes out, there's fact and there's fiction. If you do not take the right turns along the way, you will never arrive at your destination. In other words, you will never achieve understanding. And that is exactly what we are supposed to do with Bible prophecy. We are supposed to receive understanding. There is a, look, at the, look at this book. This is a testimony. Most of which is Bible prophecy. Most of which is telling us about the coming of Yeshua. There's a massive testimony. And so if we don't begin right, if we don't start off at the right point, not just at the right point, but all along the way, taking the right twists and turns, grabbing one biblical prophecy after another and building it according to the way the Lord intended to leave it. If we do not do that, we'll never reach the destination. Only if we do it according to his will, then will we achieve the destination. Very, very important. Just a very simple illustration of a Bible prophecy. This is what we're going to do in this series. We're going we're we're to um, go through the twists and turns, taking all these Bible prophecies, for the, obviously, for the purpose of gaining true biblical understanding. Let me give you an example, a real-life example, of something that is of grave concern to me regarding the greater Exodus theory. Uh, this is something that uh, the teachers of this theory are inclined uh, to teach, and the recipients of the teaching are inclined to receive. Uh, and that is, we need to get ready... Uh, for the regathering. I mean, this is what they're going out. You better get ready. You better be ready. As it sounds like the same mantra of the rapture theorist. Uh, you better get ready. But this one's a little different. Get ready for what? Well, you're to get ready for a journey. Okay. And how do we prepare for that journey? You know what they're telling them? They're telling them to get your bug out bags. This is, and I'm not making this up. They're telling them, you need to get your bug out bags ready. You need to be ready because we're all physically going to be traveling back to the land of Israel. And obviously, for some of us, especially if you live in America, that's a seriously long journey. So you better start prepping. You better start getting your gear together. You better start getting your provisions together because you need to be ready for this journey. I'll never forget, this was several years ago. There's always things that stick out in my mind that were really epic, okay, and conversations. This is one of them. I was sitting at an owning table. This is back when we had the round tables, and there must have been eight, ten guys at this table and, and you know, multiple conversations going on. I'm listening to like three conversations at one time, and a guy chimes in and says, says, Daniel, and he took me by surprise. He says, Daniel, where do you think we're going to lay over in the greater exodus? And then he proceeded to tell me, I think we're going to lay over. And I don't know how he based his assessment. I didn't get into that. I didn't ask him about how he assessed it, uh, geographically speaking. But he said, I believe we're going to lay over in Turkey. I think the layover is going to be in Turkey. And then we're going to ascend uh, into the land uh, from there. And I'm like, brother, if you were in Turkey right now and I was here, we would be closer than you and I in this conversation right now. I mean, much closer. 
Because the reality is I basically said, I have no idea what you're talking about. I know all about the greater exodus. That's not what I meant. And and I proceeded to tell him, I have no idea what you're talking about. Because what you're talking about, I don't see it anywhere in Scripture. I mean, I don't find it anywhere in Scripture where we're supposed to get bug out bags. And he, he proceeded to tell me he has flashlights that don't need batteries. Uh, he proceeded to tell me that he's been uh, uh, living without electricity for times just to prepare for the greater exodus. Uh, that he's got his rain gear, he's got his provisions, his dry food. He's got everything. He's ready to go. And this is his whole focus. Let me tell you something. This is the fruit that is coming out of this theory. It's sowing a lot of fear and a lot of people. And I'm telling you right now, they're not preparing the right way. They're not. They're preparing in the flesh. Now, I, I want to make something very, very clear. If God wanted to bring everyone out of all the lands from the four corners of the earth and have them lay over in Turkey, no problem. If he wants to part the Atlantic Ocean, pave it with gold and send us over in Lamborghinis, not a problem. This is not... God, you know, I'm at a place in my faith where I honestly, I, I really, and I say this, I believe God can do anything. I'm not selling him short at all. He can do anything he wants. But our job is not to figure out what we think God can do or should do. Our job is to figure out what he is going to do. And how would we know that? The testimony. He has not left us without a testimony. And our job is to investigate this. Our job is to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Amen? Nowhere will you find anywhere uh, the Lord telling us to get bug out bags ready because we're physically going to be taken back to the land of Israel. Can't find it. Now, in addition to uh, this silliness, uh, silliness of telling everyone to get their bug out bags, survival kits, if that weren't enough, uh, we also have them being told to watch for something Be on the lookout. You people, be on the lookout for the pillar of cloud. Be on the lookout for the pillar of fire. And when you see them, grab your bug out bag and go. This is is what is being taught. Now, uh, are these items mentioned in the Exodus story? Is Is there a pillar of cloud? Is there a pillar of fire? Was this not the way that God led the children of Israel out of Egypt? Of course it was. Absolutely. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen exactly like that again, does it? It doesn't. There's one thing that you need to understand. There are going to be elements in the greater exodus, or the second exodus, as some people call it, um, that are going to be dramatically different from the first exodus. And we know this how. I know this, and you'll see this to be true. I'm making a, a, a profound statement here, but you will find this to be true as we continue on the next weeks. We know this because of Scripture. We know this because of Scripture. It's going to be far more epic than the first Exodus. And there's going to be variations, and there's going to be differentials, um, and there's also going to be comparables. There's going to be parallels, like we saw in Revelation with the Exodus story. Now, having said that, I want to give you a warning. And, and it's not even my warning, as you'll see in a second. If someone's coming to you and say, the pillar of cloud The Lord God of Israel has come to take us home. Or the pillar of fire is out there. Come with me. Don't you dare listen to him. Do not go with him because he's leading you off of a cliff. He's leading you into deception. And here's the proof to that. In Matthew 24, verse 24, and going back to this, is a very prophetic passage. 
for false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive. You know what's fascinating about this statement? Do you know that those... Just do a word study on your own. Signs and wonders. And start paging through the Tanakh. You will find that the term is all but exclusive to the Exodus account. Every time you're looking, signs and wonders, every time it's mentioned at all these various places, Torah and the prophets, it's referring back to the Exodus. Fascinating that Yeshua says false prophets, and he's referring to the end of the age. The Exodus was what? At that time, it was the end of the age. It was a prophetic picture of the end of the age. And here Yeshua says, they will show great signs and wonders to deceive. That's the point of it. If possible, even the elect. You want to know how great the deception is? If it were possible, even the elect would be taken. It is so believable. If that is not a statement that humbles you, I don't know what will. That makes you just fall and go, Oh Lord Yeshua, protect me. Let me come under the shadow of your wing. Because according to your own words, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to know whether I'm being deceived or not deceived if I'm not in relationship with you. That's what this is about. See, I have told you beforehand, like the master rabbi that he is. Continuing on, and here's where we get to the point. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he is in the desert, do not go out. Or look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also the coming of the Son of Man will be. Let me tell you something. Nobody's going to have to come and get you and tell you the Lord has come back for us. Because they're all going to see him. Nobody's going to be running to tell anybody anything. They're going to be falling to their knees. This is the reality. As lightning flashes from the east to the west, every single person is going to see his coming. What does Revelation 1-7 again say? Every eye will see him. Even they, even the wicked will see him. No mystery whatsoever. This is the, the whole craziness about following a pillar of cloud or a pillar of fire yeshua warned you don't you dare fall into it so it's concepts like this of telling people to look out uh, for that pillar of cloud that have crept in it's crept into this greater exodus theory which unfortunately doesn't prepare them for the coming of the lord it does just the opposite it prepares them for deception a deception that if it were possible even the elect would be deceived. Now, what I want to do is I, I kind of want to change gears. I, I want to share with you some of the main scriptural passages that the greater Exodus theory utilizes. And I'm not going to show you all of them, but I'm going to give you the crux of it. And you're going to get a really, really good idea of where they're coming from and why they believe there's going to be a greater Exodus. And before I even show you this, let me be very clear. I love the term, the greater Exodus. I believe in the term itself. I don't believe in the theory that is being taught. This is going right back to the rapture. I believe in the rapture event. It's beautiful. It's scriptural. I don't believe in the rapture theory because it starts to fall apart. It starts to have dead ends. So I'm going to give you some examples here, and I'm going to begin in the Torah. And you're going to want to pay very close attention because this, this stuff is going to reverberate over the next couple of weeks. In Deuteronomy 30, verse 1, Now it shall come to pass when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God drives you, and you shall return to the Lord your God and obey his voice according to all that I command you today. 
And you and your children, with all your heart and with all your soul, going to verse 3, that the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity. Can you say a regathering? This is a regathering. And have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. If any of you are driven out to the farthest parts of heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you and from there he will bring you. So you think about this from the four corners of the globe, the Lord has prophesied when they turn to him, he is going to gather them together. He's going to gather them together. It's going to be one man. It's going to be gathered together as one man. Continuing on verse 5. Then the Lord your God will bring you to the land which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it. He will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. Two things about the greater Exodus theory that you need to understand. Critical. Number one, there is a regathering. That's what the prophecies say. That the people are going to be regathered. But that's not it. There's a second component. There's a purpose for the regathering. To bring them into the land. That's the purpose. To bring them into the land. Critical. Because that's the inheritance. See, it's about the inheritance. That's what it's about. And you'll see that more and more as we continue on in the coming weeks. Let me take you to the prophet Ezekiel. Chapter 20, verse 39. As for you, O house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, go serve every one of you his idols... And hereafter, if you will not obey me, but profane my holy name no more with your gifts and your idols, verse 40, for on my holy mountain, on the mountain height of Israel, critical passage, critical passage for us in the future, and we'll circle back to this later. The Lord's holy mountain, which if you read the book of Enoch, when, when this is referenced, it's powerful. It's explicitly referring to the throne of God. It's explicitly referring to the throne, and I can also show you biblical text uh, to support this, and I will. But on his holy mountain, it's called the mountain height of something, Israel. This is going to be critical. It's the mountain height of Israel. His throne is the mountain height of Israel. Says the Lord God, there all the house of Israel, all of them in the land shall serve me. There I will accept them, and there I will require your offerings and the first fruits of your sacrifices, together with all your holy things, going on to verse 41, I will accept you as a sweet aroma when I bring you out from the peoples and gather you out of the countries where you have been scattered. Again, I mean, the prophet now is talking about the gathering, the regathering. And I will be hallowed in you before the Gentiles. Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I bring you into the land of Israel. See, they're not just being regathered to sit in the middle of the wilderness. It's regathered to go back to the land. Critical you make that connection. Into the country for which I raised my hand in an oath to give to your fathers. So again, this is clear prophecy describing what it is that the, this greater exodus theory is holding on to and what they're purporting is this regathering and getting into the land. Going to Jeremiah 23, one more. Therefore, behold, the, the days are coming, says the Lord, that they shall no longer say, as the Lord lives who brought up the children of Israel from the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives who brought up and led the descendants of the house of Israel from the north country and from all the countries where I had driven them, and they shall dwell 
in their own land. So over and over again, what, what is the biblical testimony? That the Lord is going to regather his people and he will bring them into the land that he promised them. This is about fulfilling the promise, right? Now, one thing that is very important uh, to note regarding the greater Exodus theory, it's the most critical component, and we're going to be dissecting this uh, in next week. That is this. The greater Exodus theory interprets these passages that we just read uh, from the Torah and the prophets. They interpret them in a very, very specific way. They're teaching that these prophecies are fulfilled by a physical regathering. If you want to understand the greater Exodus theory, understand that component. If you take anything away from today, take that. Their concept, their belief is that there's going to be a physical regathering back into the land, that all the elect will be gathered and brought back into the land. And unfortunately, this is where, yet once again, uh, this theory is going to hit a dead end. And I will prove that in the coming weeks. Um, It's simply not taking into consideration uh, the totality of Scripture, the, the prophet's uh, what, what other uh, aspects that the prophets have foretold of. It doesn't take into consideration the teachings of Yeshua. It doesn't take into consideration the teachings of Paul. And you'll know what I mean by that. I mean, that, there may be some mystery to that right now. But as we start to dig in these things, everything's just going to start to get framed up. And you're going to start to see, you're going to start to see what the regathering is really about, what that looks like according uh, to Scripture. So we're going to end here uh, for today.